0: Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center, dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta, drink wine.
1: Welcome to the Duck Pod. From the Register Guard Newsroom, here's Ryan Thorburn and Austin Meek. Okay, we're back for another episode of The Duck Pod. Ryan Thorburn, joined as always by Austin Meek. Please subscribe to our podcast and if you like it, give us a nice rating. If you don't like it, don't do anything. This podcast is how
2: I feed my family. So Yeah, we really need to grow this to thing.
1: because um, we have fun doing it and uh, you know, Oregon fans need to figure out where this thing is and, and start listening to it. So we appreciate that. And uh, let's start quickly, Austin, with uh, some a strange set of circumstances in Eugene. Jane Sanders Stadium was empty uh, during the NCAA softball tournament because the Ducks did not make it a year ago. They were at the College World Series. And You had a strange experience the final night at PK Park where uh, the players were introduced, the Star-Spangled Banner was sung, lineup cards were exchanged, and the game did not play, and thus ends the George Horton era of baseball. Where are we now with uh, the state of these two programs?
2: You know, this is just a weird year overall. Uh, It's unlike any year um that I've experienced since I've been in Eugene. Usually this is the time of year when we've got uh softball regionals, super regionals, uh women's college World Series going on. Um we it's the time of year when we have track going on, pre prefontaine classic, the NCAA track meet. I mean in a typical year right now we would be like putting together form charts uh for the NCAA track meet. Well that's in Texas this year. Uh the softball team is not in the postseason baseball team is not in the postseason which is that that part is not that different uh what's different there is we have a coaching search going on for the first time and it was kind of a surreal scene uh at pk park for sure because we all went out there on saturday thinking that we were going to see the last game of the george horton era and it turned out we saw that the night before Uh, we didn't even realize we were watching it um so not a huge surprise uh that that oregon is making a change there um you know George. I think anybody who uh, knew George and interacted with him had a lot of respect for him as a person. Uh, did you know? Did some good things there to get that program off the ground, but man, they just had really stalled out over the last four or five years.
1: Yeah, it's it's a new era for Oregon spring sports. I think you know. Obviously, Melissa Lombardi uh, went through hell this year with all the players leaving to Texas and elsewhere. I, I had a chance to watch some of. Uh, Texas against Alabama last week, and that was pretty entertaining television. Uh, probably bittersweet for some Oregon fans to, to click across that, but I think Melissa proved that she can coach. She had very little to work with this year, and now it's a matter of replenishing that roster. So, a new era there. Obviously, baseball is going to have a new era with whoever they hire, trying to get it back into contention for Pac 12 uh, championships and, and that elusive college world series and as you mentioned uh a new uh, hayward field is under construction yeah. so a year from now we'll, we'll be uh gearing up for the return of the uh olympic trials and and later on uh down the road the world championships so definitely an interesting time at oregon but uh i think you know brighter days ahead for all three of those entities.
2: Well, the one thing you can always count on is college football. That That's something that uh, plays well any time of the year, and I think especially this year with kind of a low-key spring, uh, people are already looking ahead to that football game against Auburn. Uh, we had some kickoff times come out, right? Uh, give us the rundown.
1: We did. Uh, those who loathe the Pac-12 networks will not be happy, but not surprisingly, Oregon's uh, home opener against Nevada is a 4.30 p.m. kickoff on Pac-12 Networks, and then the following week they host Montana, the final non-conference game of the year, and that is a 7.45 p.m. kickoff on the Pac-12 Networks. Ouch. So that one uh, is rough. The, I was hoping the Grizz would be an 11 am but... You know, Oregon's going to be a lot better this year, so, you know, they're not going to have an 11 a.m. game this year. They're they're too good. That's a little beyond prime time for me, but, you know, a night game makes sense for Montana. Previously, you know, we knew that uh, Oregon would be playing Auburn August 31st at 4.30, and that is on ABC. Obviously, that's a showcase game for Oregon in the Pac-12. And then the fourth game that we know about uh, as far as time and TV is uh, – A Friday night lights special at Autzen against Colorado. I think it's October 11th. That is a 7 p.m., I believe, on Fox Sports 1. Uh, Check uh, ducksports.com to confirm that. But that's a Friday night game on Fox Sports 1.
2: All right. Well, mark your calendars. Uh, We know that. This time of year, uh, once you start getting those uh, kickoff times coming in, it also means that the preseason magazines are hitting the stands. Uh, so we have a guest this week is Stephen Lassen uh, from Athlon Sports. Uh, the Athlon Top 25 just came out. So uh, let's, uh, let's pick it up with our guest, Stephen Lassen, uh, looking ahead to the next football season.
1: Okay, as promised, we are joined by... Today by Stephen Lassen, he is a college football editor for Athlon Sports. Um, their preview magazines for the 2019 season are on newsstands now, so uh, that's kind of exciting. It's that time of year where the buildup to college football is—it's uh, real. The countdown is on, and Stephen, thanks so much for joining us.
0: It's great to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me on. It is like Christmas in, uh, in May for some of us. You know, the magazine on the newsstands and. It's the off-season, but we're talking college football, so I won't complain too much.
1: Tell us a little bit about, you know, how many different covers you have, and, you know, if Oregon fans go and look for this, what cover will they probably have uh, at their local bookstores?
0: Yeah, we actually made a slight change to the way our magazines are um, printed this season. In the past, we have done five regional editions, for the five power conferences and a national edition overall, so essentially six college football magazines. This year we scrapped that plan and we went with one regional, which was the SEC regional, our best selling uh, of the of the five regionals, and we did a national edition. But the national edition is expanded, so essentially we now have two pages on every Power Five team in our expanded national. Um, edition. So, what you are getting in the Pac-12 book, you're essentially getting it in the national book this season. But if you're an Oregon fan and you go look for the magazine, there is an edition with Oregon and Oregon State on it, um, with Justin Herbert featured as the prominent photo on there. If you can't find it on newsstands, it's a you know it's the national Athlon Sports you know essentially a national edition with a preview for all 130. Our online store has all those in there. So we try to do, you know, a couple different covers for every conference. Um, You know, we do some kind of generic national ones that have our top four on it. But, you know, for the most part, we try to do three to four editions for every conference. And it's a little different this season because it's kind of a trial run to see how this expanded national edition goes.
2: Well, Steven, I'm looking at the Athlon Sports preseason top 25 right now. You've got Oregon at number 15. Uh, Duck fans will like the opening sentence here. Oregon returns all the necessary pieces to win its first Pac-12 title since 2014. Uh, what did you like about the Ducks when you looked at them? Uh, were there some question marks you had that, that maybe kept them from, from being up there in that more, more in that top 10 range?
0: like this Oregon team you know uh, I think it's kind of funny to say this but I think Oregon was actually one of the offseason's biggest winners um, the fact that they reeled in a top-notch recruiting class the best one in the Pac-12 most of the juniors who could have declared for the NFL decided to come back the most important one being Justin Herbert and, and coming back to Oregon for his senior year was huge So I think all of the pieces seem to be in place. Justin Herbert, a guy who can contend for All-America honors. You have two solid running backs coming back. I like the addition of Jawan Johnson, a transfer receiver, as someone who can maybe step in and, and replace Dylan Mitchell right away. The offensive line, you've got rated as one of the top five in college football. You know, I think defensively, I'm interested to see what Andy Avalos does with this defense because I thought Jim Levitt, one of the Pac 12's better defensive coordinators, and how does that transition go from Levitt to Avalos, knowing that Oregon needs to stop the run better, especially in Pac 12 games? So, you know, not a ton of question marks, at least on paper for this team, and the question marks that are there are actually pretty small. You know, you talk about who's going to step up that receiver defensively. I think maybe the biggest question that we had when we compare Washington versus Oregon was you know, Chris Peterson, I think we give a little bit more of an edge to that Washington coaching staff, and then the fact this year that the game between Washington and Oregon is in Seattle. So we like a lot about the Ducks, we just like the Huskies a a little bit more, and uh, that was one of our tougher debates deciding between uh, these two teams for the Pac-12 North title
1: this year. Yeah, I was going to mention you have uh, Washington at number 12, Utah at number 13, so Oregon uh, would be third among Pac-12 teams in your top 25, and then also Auburn, who Oregon opens with at number 20. Um, So I guess just take me through... Washington you mentioned the schedule how much does that factor in because I think that is a big deal in college football who you play and where you play them obviously Oregon returns everyone you mentioned and they're pretty loaded but they do have to play in Seattle they do have to play at Stanford uh, fortunately for them they don't have to go to Salt Lake City this year or face the youths at all but how much of a factor is the schedule and and is that something you really uh, take a good look at
0: it really is you know when we kind of broke down these two teams and and I should say too you know our top 25 is a projection to the end of the season so essentially we're saying Washington is our Pac-12 North champion but if you told me to go ahead right now and write down your top 15 teams going into the season and forgetting about projection i think you'd have to rank Oregon over Washington just based upon personnel so a lot of what we what we're believing with Washington is that um, it's the upside. It's the upside that they're going to reload on defense despite losing all that talent. We think Jacob Eason is actually probably going to be an upgrade in, in the downfield passing ability over Jake Browning. But when it comes to the schedule, you know this is a huge component of our preseason predictions because you know we essentially said we think both teams will probably lose you know twice somewhere. Pac-12 play and the fact that Washington gets Oregon, Utah, and USC at home this season I think is huge. I mean, Oregon's road schedule at Stanford, Washington, USC, and Arizona State, those are all all tough matchups. So when it comes to deciding tight conference races like this, we really try to hone in on the schedule and look at all those factors and in this case it was. I, I think if the game this year was in Eugene, I think there's a pretty good chance we'd pick Oregon. Um, But when we're looking at one game potentially deciding the the North Division, being being in Seattle was huge for
2: us. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on that game between Oregon and Auburn to open the season in Arlington. Uh, Ryan mentioned that you have Auburn ranked number 20. Uh, I I think that Auburn team is one that's – Is fascinating for a lot of people because they didn't have a great year last year. Uh, They were eight and five. Uh, They've had a lot of a lot of changes. Gus Malzahn taking over the play calling. Uh, But there there is an expectation that uh, that that team is going to be much improved this year. What did you see when you looked at Auburn?
0: You know, Auburn is a really difficult team to figure out because you look over kind of the last you know five or six years. Or, uh, Auburn has played for the national championship. They've been right on the doorstep of making the college football playoffs just a couple of years ago, and then they've had, you know, three pretty mediocre 8-5, and 7-6 and six seasons. And I think this is a program that enters 2019 kind of with its back against the wall, that they were projected in the top 10 last season, finished 8-5. and five. They were, you know, pretty much easily defeated by the two rivals, Georgia and Alabama. Gus Malzahn taking over the play calling, even though he signed a huge contract extension. You know, In the SEC, you're you know, one or two losses away from the hot seat, and he goes into this year needing a big season to, to, to maybe save his job. So there are a lot of storylines surrounding this team, but when you look at just raw talent pieces in place, Auburn has got some intriguing potential. They, uh, you know, skill talent-wise, they're, they're among the best in the SEC, five starters back on the offensive line, which should improve, and that was really one of their biggest problem spots last season. The offensive line was just inconsistent. They didn't pass protect well. And, and to go into that to this season, I think their line will be better, but now their quarterback situation um, is a question mark. They've got two freshmen vying for the starting job, Joey Gatewood and Bo Nix, And they both bring something different to the table. Nix is more of a passer. Gatewood's more of a runner. I think Oregon is probably going to see both quarterbacks in the opener. And defensively, they're they're one of the best in in college football. We've got their defensive line rated number one for this season. So a, a really intriguing team and, honestly, a wild card because they've been so hard to get a read on over the last couple of years.
1: One thing I enjoy about uh, the magazine and also your website is that you guys rank just about everything, and uh, that includes the quarterbacks in each conference, uh, and the aforementioned Justin Herbert, you have number one uh, among the Pac-12, but there's a lot of good quarterbacks this year returning, K.J. Costello at Stanford, Tyler Huntley at Utah, Khalil Tate at Arizona, uh, and some big transfers, obviously Jacob Eason at Washington is, is going to be critical. Um, I think over the last year we've learned that the NFL is in love with Justin Herbert and his skill set and what it might be look like at the NFL level. But do you see it, an opportunity for him to prove himself as, a, as an elite college quarterback like Marcus Mariota did this year, uh, four, five years ago?
0: Absolutely. And not to mention, it starts in that opener against Auburn. You know, we, we talked about Auburn's defensive line and, and how it's the best in college football, though the secondary is, is pretty solid, too. It's an opportunity in the first game of the year to make a big statement that coming back to Oregon, uh, you know, this is a team that you know, could contend for the playoff if they win that game and run the table in conference play. So, you know, it's an opportunity to make a huge statement. And if you look at last season, and just kind of the career that Justin Herbert's had, he's had a lot of changes. The, the you know three, there's been Oregon's head cycle like with three coaches in recent years, there's been changes at offensive coordinator. Now, with, a, with the first time in his career, he started every game in a the season, there's continuity on the coaching staff, and I think you look at that offensive line, it's one of the best in college football. You know, you could look at his numbers and say, you know, the completion percentage dropped last year, some of that was due to drop passes, and if the supporting cast at receiver is a concern, once again, you know that number may be right around the same. But you know the skill set is all there—the arm, the mobility, the smarts, really everything you want. And you know I, I think there's a good chance that you know he'll probably be drafted pretty high next year, uh, especially if he has a good season in 2019, like we expect, uh, with Herbert picked his first team All Pac-12.
2: Zooming out for a minute, looking at the top of your rankings, you've got Alabama number one, Clemson number two. No surprise to see those two teams at the top. Although, as as you point out uh, in in the write-up, the last time we watched these two teams play, uh, Clemson was, was clearly the better team. What was it that, that gave Alabama the edge when you looked at those, those two teams in the preseason?
0: You know, it's really rare to see an Alabama team be defeated in the fashion that it was i mean most time when alabama loses it's been you know pretty close you think back to the national championship game against uh clemson with deshaun watson throwing the touchdown pass so those kind of defeats are rare and i think you know you know maybe nick sapin's revenge tour might not be the best way to put it but i think there's some extra motivation and i think there will some you know some I don't know how the best way to word it, but maybe everybody just wasn't on the same page as far as the coaching staff was last season. And with a new staff coming in, they're all kind of refocused this off season. I think Alabama, at the end of the year, facing Clemson, um, I would pick them over Clemson for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know Clemson loses those stud defensive linemen. I mean, Christian Wilkins, Austin Bryant, Furl. I mean, they rotate so many guys in there and they recruit this position so well. But at the same time, you know, you lose four standouts like that that there may be a little bit of a drop off. Alabama in terms of personnel, they've got, you know, I, I think the first team All America quarterback in Tua and that receiving court, they're gonna score points once again. The biggest concern they had last season was actually their defense. The fact that their secondary um, was just so shaky in the national championship game. They're getting a starting cornerback back from injury. They're getting one of their starting linebackers back from injury. So they have some defensive reinforcements. So I think as far as a team goes, Alabama could actually solidify some of those concerns. Clemson will still be very good on offense, and they're going to be great on defense. They just may miss those standouts on the defensive line a little bit. But also... I think history tells us that Clemson won't be the national champion. Um, The fact that Alabama is the only team since the start of the BCS era to go back to back. And, you know, there's so many things during the course of the season. You have to have good fortune, you know, turnovers have to go your way, health. You know, something just tells us that we should go with Alabama uh, based upon history. And I think if these two teams play in the national championship game, I think it'd be a heck of a matchup and, and much different than the, the outcome we saw last year.
1: Well, putting Alabama and Clemson at or near the top of your rankings is one thing. Uh, ranking the best jobs 1 to 130 is another thing. Tell us a little bit about the process of putting this magazine together. When does it start? How do you go about you know researching all 130 programs? And, and what are some of the schools that are easy to work with and what are some where you have to to find information other ways. What's kind of the process to get to this point where your magazine is out and you're helping getting fans across the nation ready for this season?
0: Yeah, you. Know, it actually starts in November. Um, once teams have finished a season and we know they're not going to go to a bowl game, we go ahead and start working on things like stats, um, background information, anything that's not going to change. And you know, basically, from November through April, we are constantly working on the magazine. We put together a packet of information on every team that has stats, returning starters, coaching changes, recruits—you know, anything you can think of. Um, you know, and also, we really work on covers and features, and a lot of that stuff you see in the magazine basically from when the NFL draft deadline is. So once all those players declare, that's when we start to finalize a lot of the features that you see in the magazine.
2: Well, Stephen, it's great to be talking college football with you. Uh, It's only May. But when we start to see those preseason magazines on the newsstand, uh, it's one of those signs that college football isn't too far away. So uh, thanks for uh, helping us get through the summer here. Uh, We'll definitely be checking out the magazine, and we appreciate your time.
0: Hey, Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me on. It was great to talk with you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Duck Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts.